Here is one of a series of talks by spiritual leader Lola McDowell Lee, spanning two decades from the early 70s through the 90s. Lola was a Zen Roshi, whose Rinzai lineage included Dr. Henry Platov and renowned Zen master Shigetsu Sasaki. Lola was a religious scholar as well as an ordained Christian minister. While the talks are focused mainly on Zen and Buddhism, Lola drew on many spiritual traditions, including those of Jesus, Plato, Lao Tzu, the Hindu Vedas, Meister Eckhart, and Gurdjieff. When the Buddha had his uh, Sangha, his community, he had a great number of monks living there. And uh, one of them was named Subhuti. Subhuti. Subhuti was one of Buddha's disciples. And he was able to understand the potency of emptiness. The viewpoint that nothing exists except in its relationship of subjectivity and objectivity. One day when Suputi was uh, sitting under a tree in a mood of sublime emptiness, flowers began to fall around him. We are praising you for your discourse on emptiness, the gods whispered. But I have not spoken of emptiness, said Subhuti. You have not spoken of emptiness. We have not heard emptiness. And this is true emptiness. And the blossoms showered on Subhuti. Now, now, that's a Buddhist story. It's not a Zen story. It's a Buddhist story. And it's a little different than our usual. Hmm? And uh, if you listen uh, with your mind, uh, you will note that this little story brings out that we are part of the whole and that this whole is not indifferent to you. Mm -hmm. This wholeness in which you live is your mother. The world is your mother, nature. Now, if you will once realize that, just realize that, then you're not a foreigner, no matter where you go or what you feel. You are not alienated from the world. You're part of it. You are not a homeless wanderer. This is a home. You walk down the street, this is a home. You drive in your automobile, this is a home. Uh, all these feelings and reactions you have within yourself, this is a home. You are home. Hmm? This world is your home. And this world, all of this, is to be enjoyed. To the end, the E N, yeah, you put joy into. Enjoyed. And it is to be participated with. You are to participate with it. Not try to alienate yourself from it in your thinking. You participate 
in this world which is your home. How do you treat your home? When you walk out on the street, you treat it the same. Hmm? You know, it is not, a lot of people think the world's against me. This isn't true. Huh? Sometimes we think of the world as an enemy. Well, it's not a friend. It's not friendly at all out there. Sometimes it's very hostile, we think. Well, where is this hostility? Huh? Hardly ever do we look at all of this as a mother. I mean, you're sitting here in this building even. This even is a mother, huh? Yeah. Yeah. How many times a day do you think that this is the process, this whole thing is a process in which I am growing? in which I am maturing. How often? Once every three years? <laughs> or whenever I mention it? Yeah. How often do you look at this world as if it were a door of birth? It is the womb in which we live. And in this world, we are born. That is, we transcend them, huh? And this nature, this mother, hmm, supports you. Even when you fight it, she supports you. Hmm? Even when you feel rejected by somebody else, your body doesn't drop dead because of it. It supports you. It's part of this mother, huh? this process. Even when you're wrong, it's supporting you. It's like any mother, huh? If a child becomes a thief or if a child is ill, the mother still gives all that she has. And this whole world is doing that for you if you will only participate with it, huh? Yeah. There's a story that Jesus told about two brothers. The one asked his father for his inheritance, you know, his heritage, because he wanted to leave home. And he did. And he wasted everything his father gave him. You know. And the other brother remained with the father, and he helped with the business, and he worked on the farm and in the gardens, and he increased the heritage. And then comes the news that the brother who had gone away had become a beggar. He had wasted everything, thrown it all away, and he had become this beggar. And the father's heart ached for him. And his prayers were for him. And then came the day, you know, when this son came back, this beggar son came back, and the father saw him from afar, you know, and arranged a tremendous feast and invited everybody. And the good son, you know, working on the farm, somebody came to him and said, look at the injustice of this. huh? You love your father. You care for him. You serve him. Uh, you remained with him to work with him. You have been good, moral, never done anything against his wishes. Never has he arranged a feast for you. Hmm? Now this beggar is coming back, your brother, and the whole house is celebrating. And the good son felt hurt. Hmm? 
this is an absurd situation. So he went to his father and said, what are you doing? You know, never has a feast been given for me. And the father says, son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It is fitting that we should make merry and be glad, for this thy brother was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found. Hmm? Now, in a manner of speaking, in a manner of speaking, it is a very puzzling story. Hmm? Don't you think so? It's a puzzling story. So puzzle with it. <laughs> really, I mean, you know, put yourself in it. Yeah, don't just sit there and take it all for granted. Anyway, and this in this in this first story about Subhuti, you know, it said that the gods whispered to Subhuti. Huh? Well, now in the, I want to explain a little bit about that so we don't get all lost up here. In the East, you know, in India and so on, uh, the gods and the deities, uh, they're not considered actual persons. Hmm? Well, maybe some of the. Uh, uh, younger ones, shall we say, are more immature, you know, they, they might image them that way. But, but actually, their names for the gods and the deities, they're names for natural forces. You know, they have, we, they feel anger and uh, the hate and so on. And this all goes with the goddess Kali. Hmm? your violent reactions and so on. And, you know, under the goddess Kali, they kill. And to appease her, they give her sugar. Huh? What does sugar represent? Yeah. These are all labels for something. In the imagery of the East, you know this personification and these labels. Uh, in this world, in our Western culture, there is such a thing that is called sex energy. Over there they call it shakti. And you know, two labels. Hmm? So they can make these beautiful myths. They weave these stories. They're using names now. And it, it, makes, it makes a difference. You listen to a story about with names of people better than you do names of some kind of elements or whatever. I use nitrogen for this and blah, 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 blah. You're not so interested as if I'm saying Maria or something like that. Hmm? Right, okay. And the sun, is, you know, is for some a god. And the sky, for some, is a god. And, of course, a tree, you know, it has a god in it. If we could bore a hole and maybe we could see it. Hmm? Yeah. But in this way, using these names, the, this kind of label, so they can weave these stories, now everything has a heart. You know, there's a difference between saying uh, sex energy and, and shakti. Huh? Yeah. See, everything now with all these, this kind of name, everything vibrates with feeling. Nothing is indifferent to you. The world is whole. Huh? And it responds to you as well as you respond to it. 
Now, not that I'm particularly espousing this point of view, but, you know, I'm just trying to explain a little bit so that you don't get all fouled up in this thing. Hmm? Uh, in this atmosphere, you know, with this kind of attitude, you know, uh, that, that when, when you transcend all the forces, the energies of the psyche, you know, of you are uplifted, you know, and the whole world is seen through different eyes. You know, the sun shines in its usual way, but all of a sudden you see it differently. Now, there's a different quality to it. The change takes place. And the one who is empty perceives it and feels it, even though he's empty. Hmm? There is a loving warmth to this whole. There is. You miss it. You're too concentrated on I. But there is a loving warmth to the whole, to this world, huh? And you change, and all of a sudden you recognize that this is home. Yeah. The touch is different. The air is different. You know, it said when the Buddha, this is an old legend, huh? When the Buddha passed through a forest, trees would start blossoming. And somebody else would say, well, yeah, of course, you know. Man misses recognition. Man doesn't always recognize this emptiness. But how can a tree miss? Huh? Tree doesn't have an ego. Tree isn't going to miss. And it blossoms, even out of season. So, anyway. So that's, that's about the gods whispering. Huh? Okay? Okay. Now, Subhuti was one of the Buddha's disciples. And the Buddha had thousands of disciples, yeah? And the Subhuti was just one of them. Nothing special about him. Nobody knows very much about him. There are other great disciples, well-known men, famous men, great scholars, princes, huh? other teachers. And they had left their home and their places to follow this Buddha. And when they came, they were already, they already had names of prominence. They were already well-known. Mm -hmm. Now, it is, supposing you were following somebody as well-known, as renowned as this Buddha. Mm -hmm. It's very possible to get rather egotistical about it, mm -hmm. about being near to such a person, so that in your own mind you sort of begin to create a hierarchy. You know, so-and-so is closer to him than I am, and I am closer to him than... You know, I am down the line. You create this hierarchy in here. Huh? Yeah. You can say to yourself, well, this is, the, this is the place where I am, so therefore I am not an ordinary person. Hmm? I'm something special. Look, I'm fifth in line away from him. I'm only, you know, I'm that close. Isn't that magnificent? Yeah. I'm something special. I'm not an ordinary disciple. No, I'm very close to this teacher. Yeah. Others are just ordinary. Hmm? I have a name now. I have an identity of my own because of my proximity to this Buddha. Standing out, it's called, huh? Yeah. Sariputta came to Buddha, you know, and he came and he already had 500 disciples and he brought them all along. Yeah. 
was good on his part, huh? He recognized. And he was a great scholar. He knew all the scriptures backwards and forwards. He was a very talented man. And he became a disciple of the Buddha. But he remained somebody. He was Sariputta, huh? And that somebodiness was his barrier. He finally, after the Buddha died, he finally did, you know, but anyway. Sabuti, you know, just one of a crowd. Nothing special. Ananda. Ananda, the dearly beloved disciple of the Buddha. Buddha loved him, this Ananda, like Jesus loved John. Huh? Huh? He was Buddha's shadow for years, 40 years. Hmm? Never was he very far away from the Buddha. He slept in the same room. He moved with him wherever he went, you know. He was always at his side. He was well-known, Ananda. And all the stories that Buddha told, Ananda remembered. Uh, so they all start with, thus have I heard. That's Ananda's words about them. Because he asked the Buddha, you know, when the Buddha was dying, you know, what shall I do? Huh? How shall I tell these things? And Buddha said, always start with, thus have I heard. Hmm? And Ananda didn't become enlightened until after the death of the Buddha when Mahakashapa became his teacher. This little nobody, Subhuti. Okay. Mm -hmm. So we learn to be nobodies. Hmm? You know, in the Tao Te Ching, you find the same thing expressed, you know. You take the seat in the rear. You don't want to sit up in the front. You, know, you don't try to be first all the time. Do not try to be somebody. You know, if you beat your own drum too much, <laughs> you know, who's going to recognize your music? Hmm. Yeah. When you stop trying to become somebody, Suddenly, the whole existence is there for you. Yeah. You know, and it said those who are first in this world, last in the kingdom. And those who are last will be first. That's what it says, huh? Yeah. It, you know, all the great religions say the same thing. Be nobody. You know, there's another story in the Bible about a beggar, about a poor man and a rich man. And they both died on the same day. The name of the beggar was Lazarus. It was another Lazarus than the one that, you know. Anyway, and the rich man went to hell and Lazarus went to heaven, to the bosom of Abraham, as it is called. Hmm? Yeah. So the rich man is in hell, and he looks up, and he sees Lazarus sitting in heaven. And he cries out that it seems something has gone wrong here. Huh? I'm somebody. I should be there. That nobody, that beggar, he should be here. Huh? And Father Abraham laughed. Huh? And he said again, you know, those who are last shall become first, and those who are first shall become last. You have enjoyed being first long enough. Now let Lazarus enjoy it for a while. Hmm? So, now, this rich man 
sitting there in hell, and he's very warm. <laughs> Putting in mildly, hot, you know. After all, they don't have air conditioning in hell yet. <laughs> Not yet, anyway. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> he's thirsty. And he's hot. And there's no water. So again he cries out and says, Father Abraham, you know, please, at least send Lazarus down here with a little water. <laughs> huh? And the answer, answer came back, you know, and Lazarus was thirsty many times. He was nearly dying at your door. You gave him nothing. He was dying at your door hungry. You gave him nothing. You had a feast every day. Many were invited, politicians, diplomats, rich men, doctors, lawyers, you know. But here sits this leprous beggar at your door, and it looks awkward to all these wealthy people coming, so your servants send him away. Lazarus was hungry. The people who came to your dinners were not hungry. Huh? You never looked at Lazarus. And it is said that Lazarus laughed. Now, this little story... <coughs> has become for the Christian mystics like a Zen koan. Huh? Why did Lazarus laugh? Why? Now, he didn't want to get even. I mean, he's sitting in heaven. He had no need to get even anymore. Huh? So you got to get rid of that thought. That's not why he laughed. Why did Lazarus laugh? something else to puzzle with. Boy, I'm going to keep you busy all week. <laughs> mm. Now, in our world, huh, because the ego exists, valuations exist, you know. It's the ego that valuates, that judges and so on, huh? Your values belong to your ego, right? Yeah. There is another dimension, another aspect of us, that is ego-less. What about your valuations then? If all of a sudden you found yourself in a state of non-ego, and it is a state of consciousness, and if you suddenly found yourself in that state, what then about your values? You know, the Buddha's emphasis was on <clears throat> selflessness. No self. Huh? So he espoused the Anatta doctrine. There is no self. Yeah. And he said, don't even believe I am a soul. You know, because that too can become a very subtle ego trip. Huh? Find the soul. Then what will you say? Hmm. Will you say I am the soul? Hmm. Don't say I am the true self. I am the ultimate self. Don't say that. That too is a very subtle ego trip. Huh? You find that self. 
Then what will you say? Hmm. You know, this I is a very tricky word. Huh? It can deceive you, and it has deceived you many, 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 many times, and probably a few more times in the future. <laughs> you know, if you simply say, I am not, and you remain that I am notness, in that nothingness, you become empty of the self. Um, and once the self is empty, nothing is lacking. To be empty of the self is to know the self. And to know the self is enlightenment. Hmm? Now, this Subhuti, he was a nobody important. But he was able to understand the potency of emptiness. Nobody paid any attention to him. If he died, who would have been aware of it? Hmm? Remember, there were thousands of monks. They were all busy about their own things. Hmm? If he'd run away, like monks sometimes do, you know, nobody would have known, nobody would have cared. Nobody knew he was there. Hmm? But he knew, by and by, and through this process of being home, hmm? he knew the potency of emptiness. You know, I'll tell you something. We do not know the potency, the power of this emptiness until we have really thoroughly experienced it. Such a power is this emptiness. Because it's not empty, empty, you know, it's something. Empty of self, I. It's the ego that dreams about power. It thinks about power and prestige, huh? It contemplates about these things. But you know, these are dreams. These are fantasies. Oh, I'm going to do when I'm enlightened. You know, I'm going to change the world. Huh? Oh, what I'm going to do when I'm enlightened. The love I will be able to give everybody. Huh? And I will be able to share all this with everybody. Hmm. I better get on with my business. <laughs> yeah. You know, dreams sometimes, you know, they hide the impotence that we feel and have. Because, you know, we, we hardly recognize how impotent the ego is. You know, it's always making such a clatter and pushing us immediately into something else. We never have time to be empty with it, huh? It doesn't give you any space to look in any other direction except at it. Before you become aware that the ego is in the situation, it's already pushed you into something else. Always the goal is up there on the horizon. Yeah, so, you know, there I can get that far, you know, today. So, or, you know, in the morning, Dada, in the morning, you know, I'm going to reach it. But in the morning, you know, it pushes it into the evening. And oh, well, tonight, <laughs> tonight. So, and by from morning to night, it's just another day, looking at the horizon. So, horizon is an illusion. Goals of the ego very often are illusions. 
But, you know, we like them. May give us some kind of hope to deal with this thing, you know. Someday I will become powerful. Someday I will be honored. So I sometimes wonder what your idea of power really is. Mm -hmm. We all know that we've experienced it. Anybody that sits at all for meditation, just sitting there. You're just sitting there, you know. And we start daydreaming. Yeah, you know. And in the daydreams, well, you become emperor of the whole world. You become queen of the Nile. You become a singer without equal. You're 25 years old again and got a beautiful figure and hair. And oh boy, huh? You know, you're president of the United States. We all have fantasies. And you enjoy the role while you're doing this thing. Uh, you should, of course, you know, because in the fantasy, everybody's looking at you, and they're going, oh, oh isn't that wonderful? Oh, and eyeing. You're the focal point of everybody's attention, huh? But it's just a dream. You know, it's a fantasy. But there's an ego satisfaction in it so that you feel exhilarated and you feel intoxicated. Uh, isn't that nice? Where are you in it? I mean, really you. Where are you? You know, when you don't demand it, it just comes to you. Hmm? When you don't try to go to the horizon, suddenly you realize it's always been yours. You just never lived it. It's within you. you know? And you're running around out there. You're carrying it, this power, this divinity. Huh? It sits there in you. Where are you looking for it? Now, Supudi, he was able to understand the emptiness. Just being empty, you know, comes understanding. And that's true understanding, and there is no other way of understanding. You know, they say, what you want to understand, be that. If you want to understand the dragon, enter his hide. You want to understand the power, get into it. Don't try to have it do your bidding. You know, get into it. So, you try to be an ordinary person. No special identity, nothing to claim, no power to enforce over others. No effort to dominate, no effort to control, no desire to possess. You know, try it a little while, you know, you'd be surprised how you'd change. And the more you give out of that state, the more you are enriched. The more you share of it, the more it grows. Now, he was able to understand the potency of emptiness. He was able to understand the viewpoint that nothing exists except in its relationship of subjectivity and objectivity. And that is a tremendous understanding. What exists, exists in relativity. 
in a relationship of subject and object, and I cannot stress that point enough that you learn what that is. Subject-object relationship. Now, for those who have this desire to be, shall we say, divine, is subject in relationship to what object? That's not divine. When there is unity of subject and object, then you have divine. When subject and object is not, both are not, then what is? And then we come to another question of what is the relationship between? For instance, a rich man and a poor man. Is this a substantial thing or is it a relationship? I may be, and I am certainly poor, in relationship to someone else. And you may be very rich in relation to someone else. Even a beggar can be rich in relationship with another beggar. And a rich man compared to a richer man may be a poor man. Is your poverty a relationship? Is your wealth a relationship? If there is no one to be related to, what will you be, a rich man or a poor man? Now, suddenly, just suddenly, think about it, think about it for a minute. The whole of humanity disappears. And you're left all alone on this planet. Totally alone on this planet. Will you be poor or rich? All the gold will be here. All the farms will be here. All the food you could possibly want. All the diamonds. All this that, that, you know, will you be rich or will you be poor? Standing there all alone on the top of a gold mine or a diamond mine, are you rich or poor? And standing there all alone, are you beautiful or are you ugly? Hmm? With nothing to compare, absolutely nothing to compare, not another human being to compare, what are you? All in your aloneness, what are you? And in all your aloneness, are you wise or are you foolish? Hmm? Now, in the Buddhist doctrine, it is said that all these things that you think about, your values, your judgments, wealth, poor, beautiful, ugly, wise, foolish, etc., 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 all relationship, they're concepts. And we're so bothered, you know. Hmm? I am. Bothered if we think we're ugly, and we're bothered if we think we're beautiful. And the worry is created by something that is not. It doesn't even exist, except in relationship. That's the only thing that has brought it into existence. Hmm? 
Who are you if you're all alone? I mean, all alone. No one. That's why these traditions say, be nobody. Be the no one. Act like a no one. No one in their nobodiness. Then comes emptiness. Somebodiness is a relationship with somebody. Hmm? To be no one is to be in the world, in nature. To be no one is to be in existence. Hmm? Yeah, if you had never had had anybody to compare with, are you beautiful or are you ugly? You've got to look around in your mind to see, you know, who, who you thought was beautiful. Then you can compare yourself with it. Yeah. Deep within yourself, there is no beauty and there's no ugly. When they rise, that says in the Tao Te Ching, comes the 10,000 things. Yeah. Are you respected or not respected? Yeah. Are you a master or are you a slave? Who are you? In aloneness, every one of these concepts drops. You've got the answer to all the questions. Hmm? When you are all alone, you cannot be anything except this that you are. This big secret that's no secret. Huh? When you are no one, then emptiness rises. Hmm. Now, you cannot force this. And we are living in this we're in this womb and going through this process of maturing, huh? Just trying to think that you're no one, it just isn't, isn't it won't do. Huh? You have to realize it. But you can practice at it a little bit. I mean, if you, but if you go out saying, well, I'm nobody, then you're just a somebody pretending to be a nobody. Huh? So you've got to realize that also. That's still a relationship, isn't it? Just realize that all things are relative. Guilty is in relationship. Envy is in relationship. Hmm? Warm feeling is in relationship. Hmm? Yeah. You have smarts or didn't be not so smart? How come you recognize it? Subject, object, relationship. Hmm? Yeah. Now, truth is not relative. Truth is not a relationship. Truth is an absolute. It's a universal absolute. Yeah. It doesn't depend on anything or anyone. It is what it is. It is just simply truth. Now, it is not a truth that you can think. It is truth. And that's why it said, to know the truth will make you free. That doesn't mean to know a doctrine or to know a set of rules or anything like that. It is to know the absolute that transcends the relationships. Yeah. Now, in this story about Subhuti, the words Subha, sublime emptiness, that's what they say. He's sitting there in his sublime emptiness, which means, you know, again, there is a relationship sublime emptiness as opposed to a negative emptiness. A negative emptiness is a feeling of failure. That's not what I'm talking about. You tried to achieve something and you didn't and there you are. 
You know, you feel empty because a thing that you wanted, uh, you couldn't get. And the success of your dreams hasn't happened. You sit there and fantasize and somehow get into the world and it wasn't there. It was all in here. So you feel empty. You feel very forlorn. You feel sad and frustrated, negative. That is not emptiness. That's still being relative, isn't it? That's a, that's a negativeness as opposed to being a positive. Nor is a blank mind emptiness. Emptiness is a something. Yeah. The people want to renounce the world because they want to know something, whatever. Hmm? A lot of people want to renounce the world because they think they're failures. Yeah. Now, this is not renunciation. Renunciation, after all, is not suicide. No. You all know the story about the fox and the grapes. Aesop's fables, huh? The poor little old fox not able to reach the grapes. He says they're not worth anything. They're not ripe and they're sour. So he walks away and says they're sour grapes. And we use this expression often. And people don't listen to what they're saying when they say sour grapes. Yeah. A woman leaves a man or a man leaves a woman. And he thinks, well, she leaves him. He thinks, well, you know, what's she after all? She knew bones and hair and <laughs> lots of that around. <laughs> See? Sour grapes. And wealth, I don't have it. Well, having money is dirty. Money's dirty. You know, I've heard that too. You know, sour grapes. See? And then we say, or not we, but there are people that say, well, now they've got a lot of money. Let's take it away from them and distribute it around and everybody will have money. right John you laugh <laughs> whom are they trying to convince and of what yeah you know if you have really understanding for and against are gone that's understanding for and against are no more hmm you know, people in some religions, they talk, they say that this whole world is nothing but a dream. Yeah. Well, maybe to these people it's sour grapes. So it can be a dream. We're going to get out of it someday. Huh? Yeah. Negative emptiness is useless. Positive emptiness becomes a power. Negative emptiness, you know, is sad and depressed state of mind. You know, you simply finally cave in on yourself. You're feeling dejected and rejected and, uh, you know, that there's all this that you can't get through. So you feel impotent. Deep down inside now, how then can you flower? Hmm. Now, in true emptiness, no one is a failure. How can you be? You can't. And the happiness that you have is just the happiness that you have come to this understanding that dreams cannot be fulfilled. You understand. You begin to understand the subjective objective. And you can relax. And you can be happy. When the, when the absolute, when the truth, you know, 
comes upon you. It occurs, you know, all of a sudden, and you will be very surprised because you didn't expect it at that time. You expect it when you're expecting it. You know, now I'm sitting and now it should flower within me. And nothing happens. You sit there and you dream and you sweat away and you curse away and you're in pain and all that kind of stuff. And then you walk out and look at the sky and all of a sudden, there it is. There it is. Yeah. Universe comes to you when you're open. Hmm? When you're not asking. You know who is asking anyway? If you're asking, I'm somebody. And yet it says, be no one. Hmm? And when you're not asking, it's like you become a temple. And then it comes of its own accord. This emptiness can never, ever become the object of thought so that the subject sits there and looks at the emptiness. When one is truly empty, there is nothing other than emptiness. There is not even the awareness of emptiness. Who, then, experiences emptiness? consciousness while we are seemingly separate one from another. And I thank you. If you find Lola's talks valuable, more will be posted in weeks to come.